0: This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art.
1: And you can listen to all the episodes of our talk show on our website
0: at partnershipfortheartsgroup.org. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida.
1: Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Partnership for the Arts Talk Show, where we talk art. Ah, and some wonderful jazz for you. That is George Mancini from his latest recorded CD. Yes.
0: Hello, Danette. Hi, Dave. How are you doing
1: today? I'm feeling blessed. I've got my coffee.
0: (laughs) Yes, right.
1: So, I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: I am great. Really looking forward to speaking today with Libby Schaefer. Yes. Who has become quite a prolific local author.
1: To say the least. To
0: say the least. So, welcome, Libby. Yes.
1: Welcome to the show, Libby. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Nanette, how about an intro?
0: So, Dave, I got to know Libby a few years back.
1: Right? With the first
0: book. Yes. When was the first boat come out? Uh, 2014.
2: 2014.
0: And at the time, Libby uh, was leading a walk around the murals downtown. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, hey, uh, by the way, I'm writing this book about the ladies of Punta Gorda, and it's my dream to have a mural
2: in town. Absolutely.
0: And fast forward a little bit. Libby has written not only The Ladies of Pantagorda, but three other books. And the mural, The Ladies of Pantagorda, is finally in progress.
2: Yes, coming to life. And it's so exciting for me, I can barely contain myself. Okay. It's a really neat time. So, want to start with the book?
0: Yes. So, talk to us first, Libby, about the book.
2: The book came about because of a wonderful woman named Talon Robel. And I met Helen when we moved here in 2004. And she told me that I had to write a book for her about the ladies of the town because no one had ever honored them. And I explained to her that nobody nobody was going to listen to me, nobody was going to do an interview with me, and she said, you're absolutely wrong. And we bickered for a whole year. And finally, and that's true, we did, because she knew I walked and I was in love with the history of the town and the stories that I had heard, and a year later I said, I'll tell you what, for your 97th birthday. Ninety. Ninety-seventh.
0: Seventy-seventh.
2: I I will write the book, but you will be my first interview. She said, I'm not an important person. I said, you will be my first interview, and down the line, there's going to be a mural painted of the women, and she said, it will never happen. She agreed to do the interview, and one thing led to another. She would tell me people I had to talk to. I ended up with 12 women sitting around my dining room table, reminiscing about Tozi Hyman, the supervisor of elections. I ended up meeting people in restaurants and in their homes and everywhere throughout the town.
0: So, tell us about the format of the book, because it's really kind of neat.
2: This book I started is in chapters, and each chapter is devoted to a woman. Technically, it's oral history put to words. They are not my words. They are the people that I interviewed. I I do not infringe upon their history. Helen told me, you can do all the historical facts you want in books, but real history is what people lived and what they remembered. And there could be five children in the family and they could remember an event differently. Does not matter, that is their history. So I chose to do it in chapters and to include photos.
1: Yes, the old photos are awesome.
2: Yes, the because old the
0: photos, photos
1: are, are awesome. very
2: important. Yes. And I gave the stories back to the women to read and to approve because, once again, they were not my words. I tape recorded the interviews, and if they said, I don't want this, would you add that? Or if they said, scratch it, I changed my mind. I did that also because they were their stories. So, Libby, how many interviews were included? Oh my heavens! I'd have to go back and count. I think are there thirty? Let's see. Yeah.
0: Happen to have the book right yeah, here. Yeah, not. Oh, a, they're yes. Not, say at least thirty.
2: Thirty-five, I think. There were there were three ladies who actually their families chose not to have their stories included. Okay. Oh. And that was okay because that was their choice, but um, everyone else approved. And I could have gone on and on mm-hmm. with more stories, but I knew I had to cut it. What was the
1: process for? For doing it. I mean, there's so many wonderful stories.
2: How did you decide? I started with women who were remembered by family members and are no longer with us. And then I came up to the present day. For example, one of the businesses, Monty's, was a wild animal park back in the day. I'm sorry, what? There was an elephant tied to a pole Wait, up front. What? <laughs> Monty, Monty's restroom, was the Wild Animal Park in Punta Gorda. The new,
0: the new restaurant?
2: Yes, it was. Oh. There was a pond with manatee in it. There was an elephant tied to a, a pole in front of it. Oh my goodness. Um, the animals made so much noise and the smells were so bad that some of the <laughs> residents complained oh, and- Only some. Only some. And down the line, it ended up being closed down. One has to wonder why. Right. I'm not sure. I have no idea. <laughs> But it was the wild animal park of Punta Gorda. Incredible. But the man who had it loved Florida and loved the wild animals, and that was his dream. Who was that? I can't remember his name. Um, It was his dream, and he didn't get in trouble at first because his brother was on city council (laughs) when people complained. But then eventually he, he was fined a few times. He passed away. His wife was fined, and it was shut down. Yeah. And it became Monty's only after it was two other places. Right. And then it became Monty's, and we found an old uh, postcard of it, and we gave it to the owner now so that she can have it, and she framed it. That
1: is crazy. Yeah, that that is wild. Seems you'll Right. Now, Nanette, I know that out of that book, Helen is one of your favorite stories. Yes. she want to talk about that?
0: Right. I, I know you wrote about 35 women. But I do love Helen's story so much, and she's no longer with us. That's right. So can you just tell us a little bit about, about <sighs> everything that she did for Pentagorda? Because really, she was, uh, she was very remarkable. She was a
2: pillar of the community. She was a woman who believed she came to this town, drove over the drawbridge, and said she knew she was home. This was where she belonged. She technically was an abused woman in her marriage up north, she was an educated woman, and when she came here, she was looking for a business to run. When was that, Libby? In 1958. Oh, many <laughs> women, many, I, as far as I'm concerned, they ran the town from World War II on. They were, they were the impetus behind everything that happened in this town. But she came, and at first she could not get a, get her own business, so she worked. And then she opened a coffee shop on 41. There you go. <laughs> now you're talking.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm Janet Watermeyer, Executive Director of the Visual Arts Center, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts talk show.
1: Okay, we are back, and we are talking with author Libby Schaefer about her book, The Ladies of Punta Gorda. We were
2: talking about Helen, so let me... Please continue. She became the first caterer in Punta Gorda when they were building the aisles. And her business was located in the parking lot of what is now the Celtic Ray. She was a forerunner of uh, people standing up for integration she, and she was the caterer who when they were building the aisles, she, when they'd have the open houses, she provided all the food. She had an amazing restaurant on, out on 17 that everyone loved, it was very elegant time, she found out that she had cancer of the mouth, and she had half her tongue amputated. Wow. And was told she probably wouldn't speak again, but she spoke beautifully.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: In addition to that, she was a volunteer firefighter. Yes. She drove an okay. army, deuce, and a half truck, and she would have to, as my husband said, double clutch it.
0: And Con- she was not a big woman.
2: No, she was not. And she conned her friend into going with her. And when the alarms would go off, because the fire company was all volunteers, and the men had to leave work and jump on the engine, they would go first, and they would pump and pump the water to put up the fire, keep the fires under control.
1: Right.
2: She had to be careful, though, because the water tank on the back of the truck wasn't strapped down. And if she went around the corners too fast, she'd go up on two wheels. <laughs> she single-handedly decided that the county needed a paid fire company. She said, this is ridiculous. Some lives were lost. Businesses were lost. And so knowing that she was a woman and it would be difficult, she marched into a meeting behind one of the businessmen and proceeded to tell them why a paid fire company was necessary. Thus, the firehouse on 17 is named the Helen Roper Fire Company.
1: Oh, right, right. Why is that As oh, is the park it.
2: She just did, and then she was a pillar in the women's club. Held almost every office there was in the women's club and was a mentor to many other women. When she became ill and it was a matter of her heart failing, I was having a tea at my house and she arrived late to tell me that she was busy planning her funeral because she knew her time was not going to be long. And she wanted to make sure that she wore her red bustier and her white silk dressing gown to give the town one more taste of Helen (laughs) Robbins. She threw birthday parties for herself, her families had birthday parties for her. I think she was respected by more people in this town.
1: Now, Libby, obviously Helen was an amazing woman. Right. And lived an incredible life. Yes. With lots of wonderful stories.
2: Do you have a favorite? Um, one of my favorite memories is I formed a clown troupe. Actually, it was a mime troupe, non-speaking mimes. I'm sorry you were in a non-speaking group. I. W- it was very difficult, but I did it. I actually attended school and became a mime. And it's very hard for me to do, but I did it. And Helen wanted to become a mime. She was 90 years old. And she came to my house, and when others were saying, ooh, this white face is sticky, I don't think I like it, she w- only had one concern. Will it cover all my wrinkles? And she went to nursing homes racing in her Volkswagen, her little Beetle, with her walker in the back, with a horn on the walker. (laughs) Her name was Dot the Clown, and she was elegant. She danced with the walker. People loved her, and she did that for a few years. She was how old then? She was 90 when she became a clown. A mime, I should say. She was 90 years old, and she said, somebody has to entertain the old people. And she would go... But she was very realistic, and when she told me, she worked in the women's club office, running that office, till late April. And she passed away on June 22nd that wow. year. And she said to me, because I read the dedication to her in her hospital room, that she was going home to hospice and that it was okay, that she knew that it was going to be okay, and that everyone had to accept that. That she could know and she was leaving everything to other women to take over. Now she is one of the ladies in the mural. Yes, she is, and she told me I was not to put her on the mural if I ever got one. Oh my
0: goodness. Now why? Because she thought she was She wasn't
2: as important as everyone else. And I said, You are more important than you can possibly know. Wow.
0: Yeah.
2: What a lady.
0: Yes. So now do you have other kind of favorite stories from the book? Not necessarily women who are going to be included in the mural, but just
2: this woman is not included in the mural, and she passed away last week. Okay. And her name was Eloise McDougal, And I met her at an old-timer's luncheon shortly after she had brain surgery because she had a fall and she had a brain bleed. And she invited me to come to her house. And when I went that day, her little dog, Willie, came running to the door, yipping and turning his nose towards the sofa. And she said, he wants you to sit so he can climb on your lap. And said I did, and I sat for over two hours and heard her tell about growing up in Point Gorda, being born on Sullivan Street, and living there all her life. Sullivan Street, near the um, Charlotte Community Foundation? Oh, yes. Uh, okay. She lived there all her life. Yeah. And she handed me a copy of a diary that was her grandmother Gatewood's. The house was the Gatewood house. Her grandmother wrote the diary when she was 16 and a bride. And she rode in a schooner up and down the gulf with her preacher husband as they preached to the Indians and the settlers. And then in 1900, he built the house on Sullivan Street, where she still lived, until last week. Wow. Right.
1: No wonder. What an amazing story. Right. Okay, so, Eloise what kind of stories did she have to tell?
2: Yes, she told me wonderful stories. She said, you know, when we were kids, we didn't have this silly stuff of needing electronics. She said, heavens, no. We'd go outside and we'd play under an old guava tree. And she said, we played cowboys and Indians. I said, you weren't a cowboy, were you? You probably were a cowgirl. She said, heck no, we were saloon girls. (laughs) And I said, oh really? And she said, yes. She said, you know, we would have all kinds of things, and the boys would come up, and they used bottle caps for money. And we had a big old jar, and they'd pay us for either their whiskey or their beer, sweet tea or unsweet tea. She said, and then the, being the boys they were, when the jar got almost full, they'd rob us and take them all back again. And what were we going to do? And then she told me her brother, Hugh Adams, was the superintendent of schools, and he integrated the Charlotte County Schools.
1: Wow. Wow. And
2: cool. she told me the story of him doing that, that he was told he was to start with a kindergarten. And he said, I will not do that because the high school students have to ride the bus all the way to Fort Myers. I'm starting with seniors. And that's what he did. And she said her memories of Hugh were so fond because when they were little, there was not a lot of money. And her grandparents gave them a big red tricycle And when the fire alarm would sound, the two of them would jump on the tricycle, sometimes with her best friend, Faye, and they'd ride to where the fire was. (laughs) And she said there was never a problem because there was no traffic. There weren't cars on the road. But her stories, and that just went on and on. She told me about her grandfather, Gatewood, who was a writer. And he was blind. And they had a three-legged dog. And that three-legged dog would lead him down the street to the post office, and there was one red light. And stop him until the light turned green and he would go to the post office and then return home. She worked at the movie theater. She challenged um, the young uh, soldiers who would come into the movies because we had all the air bases in this area. Right. And she told them that her dog could eat more ice cream than they ever could. And they took up the bet and she sat, and that three legged dog ate something like 37 ice cream cones and never got sick. <laughs> and then got yeah. Yeah. sick. The co- she was beautiful. And she was really beautiful as a young woman also. And again, a very independent woman brought up her four children alone as a single parent. And she just loved this town and all the people in it. Sadly, there were stories I did not get from her.
1: Yes, you have to wonder, living a life like that, how many other great untold stories?
0: Yes, Mm. yes. So Mm. now, Dave, I have to tell you, that Libby's book, and it is just called *The, the Lady. Ladies of Pentagorda*. Mm-hmm. You can get it at Copperfish Books. Right. All of all of her books.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, of course.
0: When it came out, I, you know, I bought the copy, of course, because um, we've been talking about it. Mm-hmm. and I was fascinated. I kind of, apologies, but I kind of just expected to flip through and get a sense of mm-hmm. what it was. I sat down and read it from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. These stories are so interesting and moving
1: mm. surprising
0: and surprising
1: mm-hmm.
0: Thank i you. mean surprising that yeah. here we are in little pentagorda mm. and it really just made me so proud of our town's history the history is amazing yeah is. just a, such a great appreciation for for the oh. contributions of women to our community
1: absolutely another great part of the uh, history that is getting
2: told thank yes, you yes right so libby You got any other favorites? was Sally Jones, who didn't even have a college degree, who became superintendent of schools. And she was running against one of our very important attorneys in town. And when it came to speak, when they were going to speak to the town people to decide who was going to win before voting, she said, oh please, you go first. You go first. He did go first, and when he was done speaking, she stood up and said, Now, wasn't he amazing? Wasn't he just so wonderful? And, you know, I was his teacher, and I taught him everything. (laughs) And she beat him. She beat him, and she never got her, her degree until after that. Just the stories. And she was the first female superintendent of schools. Margaret Riggs, who was born in the middle of the drawbridge, because her father was a bridge tender and an artist from the time she was a young girl. And she now resides in an assisted living in Port Charlotte, but her memory of the stories, the memories are wonderful. We'll be right back.
0: Hi, my name is George Mancini and I listen to Partnership for the Arts and it is a rewarding experience.
1: Okay, now, Libby, let's talk about you and, and writing this book.
0: Yes, right. So, now, Libby, you were an educator also yes. for a long time. Yes. So, do you think that gave you the courage to tackle a project like this? I mean, this is to, like, write a book, interview all these people. That's pretty daunting for somebody who's not a trained writer.
2: Truth was, I wanted to be a writer. I never wanted to be a teacher. I got accepted at the University of Pennsylvania, and my eyes were big, and, you know, an Ivy League school, that's where I wanted to go. Uh, also the truth was that I didn't have $4,000, and I did have $125 a semester to go to Bloomsburg to become a teacher. But the minute I walked into the classroom, I fell in love with teaching.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And my, I think my proudest effort as a teacher was teaching students to write. Not just the gifted and talent, but also the students at risk. That was very important to me, and writing has always been. I've kept diaries, I've kept logs, I've written ever since I was a child. And so when I started writing it, I thought, now how am I going to do this? So I worked with file folders and a tape recorder, and every story was divided into file folders, and then when it was put onto the computer, it was put on a memory stick, and then we decided photographs had to be included because they made the book come alive. And it was daunting. I think the biggest problem for me was knowing when to stop.
1: I could go on and on. Right. Right. Yes, so many stories. So many. Okay, so can we talk about the uh, mural some more?
0: Yes. So now, just sort of when it's going to be done and what's happening.
2: Hopefully the mural's going to be done in three months. What happened was when, when I made Helen that promise and I... I told her, I guaranteed her, I sat on her lanai with her as she was on oxygen towards the end of her life and I said, I promise you it's going to happen. And she said, okay, okay, Uh, I believe you, but who will you pick? And that became a problem. Mm -hmm. So, the decision was made by several friends who worked on committees that the first requirement was the person had to be dead because then there could be no fighting (laughs) uh, as to who, so, and we joked because when people said, but there's a wonderful woman, we said yes, but she's still alive and that's nice, but she couldn't be considered. So we ended up that we narrowed it down and decided that we should represent different areas from education to um, to, uh, medicine, to politics, to religion. Uh, We wanted to represent every different area we could and that's how we selected the women. And then we had to get approval from the families and didn't have to, but we thought that was respectful and got their input. And then we had to find a building and that's when street walking came in. I knocked on many doors and asked and discovered that there were a lot of places that would like to have a mural, but the building wasn't suitable. And there were other places where they didn't have room for it or they had something else in mind. And the first place that I had looked at was Dr. Lang's office at the corner of Olympian 41 North, but for some reason I held off going there. And then when I sat with Kelly Gaylord and we talked for a long time about it, she said, "Well, go and ask." And I went in, and we had to go through the owner, who lives in Austria, and got his approval. And then Kelly put out the call to artists.
0: And Kelly is
2: the president of the um, Punta Gorda Historic Mural Society.
1: Yes, Kelly Gaylord, we had a wonderful time with her when we did our interview here just a while back. Yes. As well,
2: Yes, and she worked very hard. as she always does. Yes. She put out a call to artists of what we wanted with pictures of the ladies, and that was quite a chore, getting pictures that were really ready to be used and that had clarity. And we had the first uh, rendering made, There were people who did not like it, and they were not happy with it, and we wanted to please the families, so we put a second call out. And Skip, the artist, happens to be from Sarasota, and his vision was to have the women inside a building in different poses descending stairs. And Dr. Lang said he would love it if the mural wrapped the building. Wonderful. Yes. So the mural can be seen on one side on Olympia, And on the other side, by 41 North. And Skip presented another rendering. And once again, we went to all the families. I was blessed to meet Sally Jones's two nieces when we did this. Never knew they existed. And found, through Michael Heyman, an attorney in town. The one niece lived near Sanibel Island. And I've been down there several times with her, Mm -hmm. with friends. Uh, with Sushila Charian, who was on the committee and part of the fundraising process. And we sat, and she clarified some of the stories and gave us better photos. We, we talked to every family member, and then we said, oh, I guess we need some money. So when we got, got the, the approval business. to yeah. use the building, we actually did a picnic in the park for 100 people. It was our first fundraising. My husband ended up making, I don't know how many hams and turkey breasts yeah, and all kinds when of things. they
0: they did a picnic <laughs> in the park, they mean they, not like...
2: We, this huge well, many community. friends helped, did, friends did help, and we had a hundred women there on a horrible windy day, the only windy day in March, that tablecloths were blowing, but they all came and they all supported the effort.
1: That's wonderful. And how much money did you need to raise for the mural?
2: The mural is $32,000. Yeah. yeah. And we raised like 2500 And then we ended up that people went and we got sponsors. And when the book first was launched, it was launched at the Women's Club in honor of Helen. Mm -hmm. And the ladies there, because they knew and loved her, started sending checks and donating. And then people throughout the town. And then we actually ran a a tea at the Civic Association for 165 people. Another effort. We had china, we had linen tablecloths, and that was another one of our efforts. My husband's a good cook. (laughs) And then... You are an amazing cook. I bake, yeah. And then we decided, well, why not have a car show? Because we have antique cars, so we had a car show at um, Muscle Car City last year.
1: Oh, that's right. Yes.
2: So those were the three fundraisers that we did. And then it ended up that through sponsors, $1,500 sponsors whose names will go on the wall on Mm -hmm. on a plaque, Mm -hmm. and through donations, the money was raised.
0: Yeah. Well, it's going to be a big day when we do the ribbon cutting for that. Right.
2: With lots of Florida desserts from back in the day. Oh,
0: of course.
1: Okay, interesting. Key lime comes to mind first. What else?
2: Well, the ladies told me I had to learn to make kumquat cake and pie because for the birthdays, that's what they had. So my husband is going to invest in kumquat trees <laughs> because they're quite expensive. And every time I visited someone, I had to take something kumquat. Guavas are another, so there'll be guava cobbler and guava cake. I'm sure key limes, mangoes, Meyer lemons, and Peace River silt cake, which was a recipe from back in the day, which Scott Shively at the Blanchard House Museum found for me. So it's going to be a Friday afternoon event, sort of like a tea, and everybody's going to be welcome, and they're going to be treated to Florida-type desserts. All right, okay, Nanette?
0: Yeah. I can name two people who
2: are going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice.
0: Okay,
1: so we're going to look at wrapping up part one of our interview here with you, Libby. Uh, thanks for taking the time We'll get back we'll do part two, because there's a lot more stories to tell. So Libby, well, thank you for being here. Okay. Thank you. And Lynette, you have a good day. Thanks, Dave. You too. Yep. Talk to you soon. Soon enough. Okay. okay. Like all that jazz that you heard during the show? Well, listen to the very end of the track for an extended play because you'll get a wonderful example of that by George Mancini. So everyone, thanks for listening in. This concludes part one on our
0: air. Join us next week on Partnership for the Arts talk show where we talk art for more of our conversation with author
1: Libby Schaefer. This is
0: Partnership for the Arts Radio Join us as we explore the worlds of art. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Gorda, Florida. And you can find this and other
1: episodes of our talk show on Facebook and our website, partnership for the arts